G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. That cane replaced the crutch, and I actually use it. So I'm thinking, like, yo, when I walk out, like, I need that cane. <laughs> so slip and, and, and tear my knee up even more. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and shockingly enough, I'm in a great mood. I was about to say that I'm in a good mood. It had nothing to do with my co-host, but he is also present. Uh, And you're you're already, I didn't even get my opening thought out of my mouth, and you interrupted me, and you were quickly trying to steer us toward the iceberg, Vic. No, no, no. I'm just excited to be back, man. It was a week. I didn't get a chance to talk to you. I didn't see you. I missed you, man. Okay. If well, I could a, hug you right now, I would come hug you. Thank God for Zoom interfaces instead. I no contact, one. no touch. Yeah, you can owe me. You can keep owing me. But I am in a good mood. It is. It has been a while. I'm back in the saddle. Last week, we had a very special episode of ATB. Uh, Big E, the day of WrestleMania. Hats off to our crew for putting that whole thing together. If you missed it for whatever reason, it's in the archives. Check it out. An awesome, introspective look at WrestleMania through the eyes of none other than Big E. There's a lot to get to, Vic. A lot, a lot, big week, big important week, lighthearted week here on After the Bell. I'm, I'm trying to make some changes in my life. I'm trying to be more positive, not like New Day power of positivity, just in like maybe a slightly less angry. Well, I, I do, in all seriousness, want to give you kudos on your performance this past Monday on Monday Night Raw. Because as I was keeping track and I'll tie this into NXT. I believe you made, and I'm looking down right now at my sheet just for reference, a double dare reference. I did. During the show. Sure did. I think you used a line on Byron about oregano. I did. Which made me actually laugh out loud on the Because couch. somebody mispronounced Eddie Orengo's last name. And what did you say to him? He's not a spice Byron. You said something to that effect. And I could be off on this, but you quoted Led Zeppelin not once, but I think twice. That's what happens when I have a day off and I spend it on my couch watching the song remains the same last week. That's what I did. What does Corey Graves do in the rare day off? Nothing. I put on the song remains the same at the recommendation of none other than Michael Cole, who mocked me mercilessly once I admitted that I had never seen the film. Uh, So I I had to make everything right in the world. So I watched the song remains the same. It was awesome. and, And that's where my brain has been. I've been in a very Led Zeppelin headspace for the past seven days or so. So it all makes sense. But thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Tip of the cap. And that brought in Wade Barrett quoting Billy Jean this past Tuesday on NXT. So I'm just going to assume, and I don't know this, I'm going to assume he watched Monday Night Raw was like, oh man, Corey Graves, that was awesome. I need to figure out something for myself. I would be more inclined to think that Wade probably watched an amazing Michael Jackson concert or documentary sometime in the past several weeks, because I've done that in the last month. I went on a kick of watching old Michael Jackson live from like Romania, 1992, crazy stuff. Great stuff. As we mentioned, a lot to get to today coming up in a little bit. We had an awesome chat, an unbelievable chat with none other than MVP. You don't want to miss that. That's coming your way shortly, but Vic got to get a little celebration out of the way. We're celebrating an anniversary this week. I didn't get you anything. 
not my anniversary, not our anniversary, an anniversary. Oh yeah, I was shook for a second, man. I was. This nervous, is this actually. is one of the rare instances where Twitter provided me with some positivity and something to laugh about, and informed me that believe it or not, three years ago this week was the infamous Titus World Slide. Wow. I saw it on Twitter. I, I had to, to retweet it and, and I joked that it might've <laughs> been my biggest contribution to the sports entertainment industry when I just fell apart laughing uh, at Titus's expense. But uh, I can't believe you know, it's been three years. I know. Crazy. It's insane how fast Man. the world moves three years ago. And it's still just as funny. You know, <laughs> you know Vic, you know, the one thing that no matter how bad of a mood that I am in will kick me out of it and make me laugh. It is Chevy Chase smacking himself in the face with a sandwich from a national lampoons vacation. Yes. No matter how bad of a mood I am in, that makes me die laughing. Titus sliding under the ring is, is also uh, right up there in the conversation, but all's well that ends well. Titus obviously recovered in a great way, hosted WrestleMania this year, did a great job. I got nothing but love for Titus. And uh, you know, it's one of those unfortunate things that turned out to be a, a gold mine that will last forever. Well, how smart is Titus, too? We always talk about the the man that Titus O'Neil is. When that happened, he turned around and had Titus World slide shirts. Like, he, he turns a negative into a positive. No matter what happens in that man's life, he turns something to gold. Titus World slide will live on in infamy. I don't know about you, Vic, but I kind of miss the days of Titus Worldwide when he was trying to build a brand. I don't feel like there are enough great managers anymore in WWE. We got MVP coming up in the show and he's stepped into that role and in a short period of time established himself as one of the best. But looking back through, you've got so many great, great managers. In your opinion, off the top of your head, who are some of your favorite managers of all time? Well, I think the first name that pops into my mind is, is Bobby Heenan, but I, th I think that's an easy one. Um, recently, you got to say Paul Heyman. I mean, yes. take a look at the longevity of Paul Heyman. Body of work speaks for itself. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, list goes on. For me, and I think he's in my mind right now only because his, of his appearance on NXT, an underrated one, is Ted DiBiase. And the fact that they had the Million Dollar Corporation. And yeah. that was such an asset during that time. Jimmy Hart is probably the one that I would say stands out the most only because if the, the nasty boys were coming to the ring, he had the helmet, he had a whole different megaphone, a whole different jacket. If it was earthquake Dino Bravo, he, he looked the part and made himself feel special for those moments. And it just added to the annoyance of the guy on the outside yelling in the megaphone. Jimmy Hart's the one that sticks out the most to me. I'm going to put Bobby Heenan at the top of the list. And I dare say that that's an inarguable point. I mean, right. I, I think anybody who knows anything about this business is going to put him there to your point about Paul Heyman. The thing that is, is so impressive about Heyman is he's one of the greatest orators the business has ever had. You can listen to Paul Heyman, read a phone book because he's, he's a master speaker and, and it's compelling and it's interesting, but Paul never overshadows his talent, his charge, even back to the, the dangerous Alliance, you know, when he, when he had the Zach Morris cell phone back in the day, you knew Paul Heyman was in charge and he was the business manager. He was truly a manager, but particularly Brock Lesnar, you were worried about Brock and all Paul talked about was Brock and why you should be worried about Brock. And Brock was the star of that duo. Much like these days, Roman Reigns is the head of the table and Paul Heyman as his special counsel plays that role expertly and, and there's truly an art to not much like a commentary standpoint 
our job is to enhance their characters. Yes, we make jokes from time to time at, at people's expense, but ultimately the goal of a commentator is to enhance what's happening on your screen, give backstory, give context, make these characters larger than life. So to have a manager to be able to do that, it's essentially the same role, but more focused. Whereas we are responsible for everyone on the show, telling everybody's stories, giving everybody's backgrounds. Paul Heyman is focused on one man or two, or, or most managers have one or two. Yeah, the Heenan family, the Dangerous Alliance, all these different things. But there truly is an art to making your charge feel bigger, feel more important, more significant without stealing their spotlight. Because it's easy to happen. And MVP, I think, has done a great job, especially being as big of a character and so much larger than life as MVP, Montel Vontavious Porter, has been. He knows he is the the dressing to the steak. He is the parsley to Bobby Lashley's filet mignon. Yeah, there's a, a word you used was art. And, you know, on this show, you and I always talk about the art of professional wrestling, the match, the Blake canvas that people can go do. I think there's been a lost art of the manager. Outside of Paul Heyman, it's something personally I would love to see come back. I enjoy seeing Robert Stone on NXT because it's very unusual. Say what you will about the man or what he's doing. I like when the WWE had those sort of managers. Another name that pops into my mind as you were talking was Sensational Sherry. Think what she did for the career of Macho King. Not Randy right. Savage, right. not Macho, Macho King, and how to add another layer to that onion. Same can be said for what she did for the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Sure. You know, and, and then there's always that match between Rick Martel's SummerSlam, I believe, 92, where you couldn't punch the other in the face. You, you know, and, and you could add those dynamics, to your point about Paul Heyman, to those matches. And I, I, I would like to see more. Personally, I'd like to see more managers. That's just me. I'm in agreement as long as they are functional managers. I think there have been probably too many, which is maybe why we've gotten away from it, where you've got somebody that just kind of stands around, doesn't really add anything to the package. But it's amazing. You think about, you mentioned Sensational Sherry. Think about Miss Elizabeth. Miss yeah. Elizabeth oh, yeah. is synonymous with Macho Man. Elizabeth, to my knowledge, I, I could probably remember hearing her speak three or four times. But her presence added something. She was the yang to Macho Man's yin. It was this psychopath, but this demure, pure, pure, classy woman at his side. And it kind of went, oh, okay, well, maybe he's not all bad. Maybe he's not completely out of his mind. Uh, you know, I, I just think it, it can add such a cool dimension. Well, dude, the mega powers exploding wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for Miss Elizabeth. If it weren't for Miss Elizabeth, just, the mega powers probably wouldn't have exploded. Well, that's a well, fair your point eyes, as well, but, but I'm saying it adds so much to it. Do you think the art of the manager, now I want to say art, do you think the managers were quote unquote lost with the arrival of factions, nation of domination, um, degeneration X, granted they had China, I, I, but I think they're one in the same because the, I mean, the manager was essentially the mouthpiece. More often than not. Uh, I mean, he, it was the Heenan family, but Bobby wasn't the competitor. He had Haku. He had Andre. He had, you know, uh, various superstars throughout. And, and the ultimate overarching story of it was it was Heenan versus Hulk Hogan. Because all Heenan wanted to do was destroy Hulkamania. And he had all these different monsters that he would feed. If you think about it from that perspective, the rivalry was almost Hogan versus Heenan. And then all these other memorable moments came to be as a result of Heenan trying to destroy Hulkamania. It's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's pretty cool to think. Uh, I think, you know, uh, you got to throw Jim Cornette out there as well. Vader sure. and Vader's rise in WWE, as small as it may be, being side by side with Yokozuna. 
Um, Owen Hart, British Bulldog, during their tag team title run, he was always there. Heavenly Bodies as well. I mean, the the list goes on. He's a very polarizing individual, but Cornette has to be celebrated for his contributions. Would the Midnight Express have been as great as they are and looked back upon as, as this legendary tag team if they don't have Cornette to speak for them? No, they wouldn't be. And that's what, so that's what I'm saying. He was, he was an integral part of that unit. And and that's why I think when you look at 20 years ago, nation of domination, D generation X, lost Bariquas, DOA, the list goes on. It was for my least favorite era in WWE history. We're going to shelve that for a whole nother show. We're going to, don't you know, don't you throw a wrench in my commentary. I do this to you all the time. I don't like when you do it to me. (laughs) <laughs> get that bleeping grin off your face right now. We're going to shelve that. Do you want to go? I'll wait till next week to tell you why Thank you're wrong. Thank you. Can we shelve it for a second? You Great. got those four. Now I'm thrown off. Don't do this to me. It's not fun when I'm in the other shoe now. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm the captain now. We're doing things my way, but I want to hear what the ATB faithful has to say. Who are your favorite managers in sports entertainment history? WWE, WCW, even beyond. Use the hashtag after the bell. Tag us on social media. This is a fun conversation, Vic. I want more of this. I like to be a fan. I don't like when you do what I do to you to me. That's called karma. Turnabout is fair play. But you mentioned Paul Heyman earlier. We discussed mm-hmm. him in great depth. Heyman's a guy who's got his eyes on what's going on tonight. We will discuss Big Night on Friday Night Smackdown in a minute. It's after the bell. I'm Graves. He's Vic. Vic, big night on tap tonight. Friday Night Smackdown. Mega consequences for Daniel Bryan. This is truly go big or go home. Universal title on the line. Roman Reigns defends against Daniel Bryan if Daniel loses he's banished from smackdown yeah this is uh big stakes this is huge at you throw the cliches big fight feel uh, tonight smackdown since last friday i have been waiting for today because of this matchup this is a marquee matchup that one could argue could have been the main event of wrestlemania and now it's the main event of friday night smackdown i mean that's just how big caliber of this matchup is. it's different for me now being on monday night raw i watch smackdown differently than i did much like i used to watch raw more from a fan's perspective than i did smackdown now the, the roles have reversed so i'm watching this and i'm not there week after week and i'm not seeing these guys face to face like i quite was so i'm i'm very intrigued and and listen daniel bryan's been very open very public lately about how he's nearing the end of his run He's been very honest that he doesn't want to wrestle forever and his days in WWE are potentially numbered. Could this be the last night we see Daniel Bryan in WWE beyond SmackDown? Uh, You know, you got to throw that out there. Do I think that could be the case for Daniel Bryan? No. Look to, to what you just said. The guy went into WrestleMania thinking that, telling everyone, this could be my last WrestleMania. This could be my last opportunity to main event a WrestleMania for a championship. So... I give kudos to the man for a being honest, right? B throwing it all out there. And now it's time to, again, cliche, put up or shut up. All you got to do is win. It's that simple. Just got to win. We're going to, we're going to have a banger on our hands either way. If nothing else is going to be an awesome matchup. Reigns and Daniel Bryan have incredible chemistry in the ring. I've loved every time they've locked up over the past several years. I'm sure tonight will be no different. The other thing I'm excited about for Friday night, SmackDown Vic, Alistair Black. 
Alistair is a guy I have been a fan of for a long time, even back to his time on the independence, his time through NXT. I think the world of Alistair, I think he's a mega star waiting to break out, but he was sort of lost in the shuffle. We haven't really seen him. And then seemingly out of the blue, this new vignette airs with the, with the tale of dark, the, the dark fairy tales or the, the book that he had. And it just stood out to me. It was so different from anything else on our show with the animation. And I love this Alistair Black because it's less, I hate to use the word gimmicky, but rising from the dead, the, the, all that sort of stuff. And we've, let's be perfectly honest. The Undertaker sort of owns that world, right? Undertaker yeah. is such an icon. Anybody who does anything remotely dark or, or relative to that vibe is going to be compared to The Undertaker. That's due to nobody's fault. I mean, the, that's just the guy. Undertaker is the dude, right? No matter what. So to Alistair's credit, he's had to reinvent himself a little bit, tweak things. And to me, just based on that two-minute video that I've seen, this to me sounds more like Alistair, the man that we know, who is an incredibly intelligent, charismatic, deep thinking. Uh, I hate to say it in a negative connotation, but there's some stuff going on in Alistair's brain that probably scare most people. He's a very, very interesting human being. I like this. This goes back to, again, conversations we have, whether it's on this podcast, whether it's via text message or on the phone, the realism. And yep. it's something that we talked to MVP about, the realism, that he kept using the word organic Yes, um, that you'll hear in just a moment. There's an organic feel to it, and that's what makes it – it's a different vibe, to your point, rising up from the smoke, the candles around you, cool. It's a different vibe for Aleister Black, but it's a different vibe that has caught the attention of you, of me. And I think it's a different vibe that if posted on social media would capture the eyes and would make people wonder that aren't the P1, we're going to watch everything WWE related. It's could be that niche and that breakout moment you talked about for a guy that is able to grab the attention of all those other eyes and I, I focus it. That's a great point. I and mean, that's something just the way that the, the vignette was done to me, if if some metal band had tweeted that out as a promotion for an album or something, I'm going to watch it just because it's it's just unique and it's different. And, and it there's something there. I'm excited. I hope this this means big things for Alistair Black cool. on the horizon. I, I cannot wait. You know what else I can't wait for, Vic? I can't wait for the world to get their ears on the chat we were lucky enough to have with none other than Hurt Business founding father MVP. MVP, last time you joined after the bell, it was a there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding your career, your role in WWE. Would it have been the last time we saw MVP in WWE? Fast forward about a year, and now you can be found on Monday nights standing beside the WWE champion Bobby Lashley. What a difference a year makes. It's funny, I just posted that on my Instagram the other day. What a difference a year can make. And it, it's uh, sometimes it's even surreal, you know, from, like you said, from that conversation till now, you know, how many things have changed. And that short span of time, I was going to retire, and, you know, here I am standing next to one of my best friends and business partners at WrestleMania celebrating a little piece of history. Walk me through a little bit the, the process that brought you and Bobby together. Obviously you worked together in the past, different companies. Uh, but at the time you had no real plan for yourself in WWE and Bobby was sort of 
I don't hate to use the word floundering, but it didn't exactly have a great direction. Uh, how did that come to be? Well, as you said, Bobby and I have a very natural chemistry. I mean, we're, we're, we're friends in real life. And, you know, we, we play friends and business partners on television, but that's just it's organic. And Bobby, contrary to popular belief, Bobby had an idea for some time uh, to do something like a hurt business. And Bobby has said for quite some time that, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, Bobby and Shelton discussed it. MVP is that guy for this. And when I came in, me and Bobby talked about it. And fortunately, you know, Paul Amon was on board and said, yeah, let's, let's try it out. And uh, Bobby and I discussed how we would like to go about it. And everybody said, all right, cool, let's give it a try. And it was just a seamless transition. He, uh, there was, I remember at the PC, we shot a backstage vignette where I was asking Bobby, like, hey, when you going to let Lashley out? And, you know, from, from that vignette that promo those seeds were planted and it's gone on to become you know historic for both me and Bobby. it was one of those things watching um from home it just seemed to your point very organic which i think registered with a, a lot of viewers mvp like a lot of viewers were like oh this is real yeah um and it is it really is it's, it's one of those things where i always tell young up-and-coming professional wrestlers when you're trying to play a character that's not really you, it's going to be difficult. And that, you know, fans can register that. They, sometimes, sometimes it's not even consciously, subconsciously. They just pick up on the, this isn't right. But Bobby Lashley really is that combat athlete. Bobby loves to train. Bobby is happiest when he's training and fighting. Right. Um, the the Lashley that you see on the screen is Lashley with himself is his own personality turned way up. MVP is me, Hassan, with my volume, my personality volume on 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 eleven for fans of Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> and and if you look, you know that's that's the reason that we work so well. And if you look historically, all of the great Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's Steve with the volume turned way up on his personality. Dwayne Johnson is the rock. Just turns his volume, you know, on his personality up. So in this case, you know, that's kind of where me and Bobby work so well together because the dynamic. Bob, Bobby's a man of few words. And, you know, I, I always got something to say. Just ask me my opinion. I'll give it to you. <laughs> what's it been like to you Vic and I earlier in the show were discussing some of the greatest managers throughout WWE history you're stepping into a very different role you're still essentially the same MVP character but what sort of adjustments have you had to make to become an effective manager to Bobby Lashley as part of the package as opposed to necessarily being the focus you know it, again it's one of those things where it's just organic you know the, the, the timing you know I've had people ask me you know, if the, when, when am I going to turn on Bobby and go after the WWE championship? <laughs> like, I have no desire to work that hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at a point in my career where, look, look, hey, do you got to go after the United States championship? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. So in terms of adjustments, you know, I'm just adjusting to life after wrestling while I can still wrestle. And, you know, I will still wrestle periodically. Um, for the most part, the, as you made the statement earlier about, you know, great managers, I enjoy stepping into a Paul Heyman-like role. And in my case, uh, I'm a guy that 
can still climb into the ring and can climb behind the, uh, as you know, as we just did recently, uh, sit behind the commentary table and also, you know, fill my backstage vignettes. So many, many years ago in Tampa at Steve Kern's uh, School of Hard Knocks, before Florida Championship Wrestling, I had the pleasure of, of cutting a promo. We were shooting something for Macho Man and Steve Kern School. And I saw Bobby Heenan, the brain. I saw him walk into the garage and he you know, was standing in the corner. And as I'm cutting my promo, in my opinion, the greatest manager of all time, one of the greatest commentators of all time, one of the greatest brains that the business has ever seen, is standing there watching me cut this promo. And, you know, naturally, you know, if, if, if you're shooting threes and in front of Larry Bird, you're going to be kind of like, that's a great, a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I finished, Mr. Heenan called me over to him and said, kid, that was great. Has, has Vince seen you yet? I said, I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I had only started maybe a year and a half, two years before I was super green. And he gave me some, some advice that, that stuck with me just about, you know, natural flow and, 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 and um, being sharp and, 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 and fearless and making it real and being different. And we, we talked for quite a bit. And every time I had seen him after that, he was always very complimentary and, and remembered me and would said very cool things about me. So now when I hear people compare the role that I'm in these days to the role that Bobby Heenan made so famous, to even use the name MVP in the same sentence with Bobby the Brain Heenan is one of the highest compliments I've ever been paid in my entire career. Well, if you go back and stay in, the, in, in that realm and think about now, did you ever imagine yourself in the role of a, of a producer in the back uh, as a manager? Did you ever really think that would happen as your career went on? I never really saw myself as a producer, but there were times when I thought that potentially, you know, after my in-ring career, that perhaps I could go in into being a commentator or maybe coming back as a general manager or, you know, something like that. But um, this role that I've stepped into was, was nothing that I ever planned. It was nothing that I ever dreamed about or thought about, but it, it, it fits like a glove. And it's, again, organic is a word that I keep using because it, it's just so natural, uh, so pure, but I really like the role that I'm playing now. And it's kind of weird because realistically, and, you know, just time flies by in life. You know, you, you, you blink your eyes and, you know, you're, 20 years have gone by. And I remember being a jacked up rookie in the room where the only guys were like, hey, does that kid know how to work? You know, he's a big jacked up kid. I got to work with him, you know. To being the OG in the room, you know, finding myself like, hey, that big jacked up kid, I have to work him. Does he know how to work? <laughs> 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 and turned about it's fair play, but I was thinking about it just the other day, like the age I am now, I recall when I started in WWE, some of the guys that I worked with that were around my age at that time. So now I'm realistically... Uh, a, a mentor to a lot of young guys. And, you know, I didn't even think about it that way. I'm just, you know, being me and paying it forward. But other guys have mentioned, because I want to see everybody do better. And 
it was cool when, you know, the OGs from my era taught me the business and gave me the game. So now when I have an opportunity to work with a guy like Apollo Cruz and, and help him improve or, you know, Cedric or, you know, um, you know, Ali, there's a number of young guys that, you know, sometimes hit me up and ask me for my advice or, you know, about promos specifically will, will you know, seek out my counsel for you know, how they should go about this or you know, various things. And, you know, that's the role I'm in now for real. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm playing that role in front of the camera, but behind the camera, I've, I've kind of slipped into that, that OG role. And it, it feels good. I'm comfortable with it. In terms of um, mindset, because you said a lot of interesting things, because we've had Apollo on the show. I've been able to talk to Ali on a personal level. How do you compare, diving a little bit deeper, the mentality of your current quote unquote run in the company to your original run in the company? Is it that mentality of being that OG mindset now? Uh, I guess the biggest difference in my mindset is the confidence that comes with experience. I've been everywhere. There's, there's not a big wrestling company that I haven't worked for at one point or another. Everywhere I've been, I've done well for myself. So I, I know I'm a proven commodity. And my very first time in WWE, I was, I was a much younger guy who didn't have the, the confidence that comes with experience. I had the confidence that came from just knowing what I was capable of. So you know, the first run, you know, you're really concerned about making mistakes or, or, or stepping on eggshells or, you know, that's not an issue for me anymore. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm where I belong and I know who my peers are. I know my value. I know what I know. Um, you know, I have an open door with Vince. So I can sit down and, and, and discuss ideas with Vince. Whereas before I was, I wouldn't say I was scared to, but it was just something that, you know, I like kind of know your role. And. I wasn't as, yeah, I guess, confident in some areas to go up and say, Vince, I don't like this and I don't want to do it. You know, let's try something else. You know, now it's a much different situation where, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm not worried about getting fired because I get somebody upset. You know, I'll speak up and I'll say what I feel about a situation and, and I understand the dynamics. So now I'm free to be the best version of me without worrying about stepping on a landmine or getting in trouble because I'm making waves or just accepting that creatively, this is what's being done. I don't like it, but you know, this is my boss and this is what I'll do. Now I'll actually go and say, well, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Can you explain this to me? I'd like to understand. And if I have a disagreement or a different idea, I'll present it. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of the time they go, you know what, that is a better idea. Let's go with that. Or sometimes they'll say, no, that's not the idea that we want to go with. Um, we want to do this and here's why. And I'm at a point now where I understand from a business perspective, well, personally, I might not like that, but from a business perspective, all right, cool. That's where we got to go. And again, that just comes with experience. Right. That's the cachet that you earn after becoming a proven commodity and proving yourself time and time again over the years. And now you find yourself in a, in a much different role. But I want to ask you on a personal level, you had the opportunity to walk with Bobby Lashley as the first entrance of the first night of WrestleMania, WrestleMania Saturday, WWE championship match. You were on the, on the stage with everybody else. And we had that amazing ovation from the crowd. And I think all the emotions were there. Then the rain delay hit. We had guys on the ground recording and trying to get everybody's thoughts. You were about to be the first one to walk through the curtain out there and, and enjoy that energy. What was going through your mind when the rain delay hit? You know, oddly enough, in that situation, my heart 
went went out to to Bobby and Drew because uh-huh. the I I know the adrenaline that you feel knowing that you're about to to go out and tear the house down, and then you are literally seconds away from this historic moment. Like we haven't been in front of a live crowd in, in over a year, and it's WrestleMania. And oh, have a seat, guys. We got to wait thirty minutes. What the hell? So I was fine because even though I was amped and I was excited and I was, you know, hyped, you know, my role wasn't to be in the ring delivering the very first match of a historic WrestleMania that fans were going to see that they were clamoring for. That, you know, that wasn't my responsibility. My responsibility was to be a part of it from the outside of the ring in my role. So I felt terrible for Bobby and Drew because at that point we knew it was a rain delay, but we had no idea how long. So when you're stretched and you're warmed up and that adrenaline is flowing and you're ready to go, and then you're told, ah, okay, guys, go cool off <laughs> and we'll call you back and you can get fired up and warmed up again and we don't know how long. So that, that, that was awful and I felt bad for them. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. You and I have gotten to know each other fairly well over the past few years because you're a fan first and foremost. I think admittedly, so many of us are. We're in this business because we love it so much. What did it mean to you personally to be part of that historic moment? That is a, that will hopefully never happen again. I mean, the circumstances being what they were, you were, you were part of the first entrance of WrestleMania. There's so many levels to that, right? Um, personally, I had every intention of retiring. So, you know, while I have had the honor and the pleasure of being in a few WrestleManias, I never thought I'd be in a WrestleMania again. I I just thought, okay, that was cool. You know, that was my time, but I never at any point thought that I would be in another WrestleMania, let alone walking out as a representative of the WWE champion. So to be, back in in the role of, of, of talent at a WrestleMania in itself is exhilarating to be at this WrestleMania, the first one with a crowd in, in, in over a year because of the pandemic, you know, I understood the historical significance of it. And then to walk out again with one of my best friends and business partners, you know, from a year ago till now, this journey that we've made together week after week, um, you know, it, it was it was emotional on that level, and then to once again experience the energy. And and it, if you're listening to this, there's no way I can truly convey to you what it feels like to be standing in front of a WrestleMania crowd, even a a, a, a diminished one because of the the rules in place for capacity because of the pandemic. But that right. energy was unreal. That Passion is it's it's almost tangible. You know, they say you can cut it with a knife. It's so thick. It's unbelievable, and the exhilaration that comes with it. 
And what I've explained to fans in the past is this: there's a synergy that that exists in, in in our world. You know, the the more energy and passion you give us, the more energy and passion we have to give you. We draw from each other. So to to see to go from being at, at the performance center, you know, essentially, you know, working in an empty warehouse and right. trying to 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 feel that passion where it isn't there and convey that passion, you know, it, that was a very difficult thing for everybody to do to go from that to the Thunderdome, which was a huge improvement to actually being in front of a crowd at WrestleMania, feeling that, that passion and energy. Um, it's, it's almost indescribable, but for me on all those levels, you know, being back at WrestleMania, being there with my friend as a WWE champion, being back in front of that amazing audience, being welcomed back the way that I have been. Um, it was just so many levels to unpack there. It's, it's interesting to hear you, you know, give that perspective because for everyone that was on that stage and, you know, Graves and I talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast, that's an experience that no one else will ever be able to say they had. Only the select few of us that were up on that stage in that one moment but MVP, you, myself, Graves, we all actually shared somewhat of a private moment. So out of my curiosity, I wanted to ask you about this. Prior to walking through that curtain uh, for the first time, you were looking for your cane. Where the hell did you find the cane? Because we were all looking in gorilla, like looking behind people. And I was asking people to move. And you're like, where's my cane? Where's it? Where? I, was, I was actually panicking for you. Where did you find it? I didn't find it. Fortunately, the, uh, the, the props crew, they found it because when everything got moved <laughs> from uh, Tropicana to Raymond James, some things got lost. And one of my canes is still MIA. I'm not totally convinced that somebody didn't steal it. Clout chase. So it might be up in somebody's home right now. Might be on with, eBay. You know, with, a, with a plaque. <laughs> It could possibly be. We'll have to get you on that new WWE treasure show on A and E. Show up at somebody's front door and get <laughs> yeah, your cane. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> who's got who's got my who's got my cane? But it's, fortunately, because because I I am MVP and I do take things like that, that's the reason that Bobby has me as his consigliere. I had a backup cane. I, oh yeah, I had two canes. And one of them managed to make it to Gorilla. <laughs> there you go. It, it's amazing. I think we've all had the, the infamous wrestler's dream when your music's playing and you can't find your boots or you're you're too far away and you're going <laughs> to shoot. Everybody's had that. But you legitimately lived it at WrestleMania. <laughs> That's insane. Like, where is my kid? And the crazy part is, you know, it was wet. So terribly wet. And like just, you know, the, the ramp going. Oh, yeah. That uh, was up to like people were slipping and almost falling. And a lot of people don't realize that my knee is legitimately injured. <laughs> so yeah. that cane isn't just for show. <laughs> like, that cane replaced the crutch, and I actually use it. So I'm thinking, like, yo, when I walk out, like, I need that cane. <laughs> I will slip and, and, and tear my knee up even more. And, you know, then, you know, poor Mandy, she took that bump that oh. everybody saw and, you know, and handled it like a boss. Yes, she you know, did. Absolutely. Life, it's, it's, it's not about falling down. It's about getting back up, right? Yep. But uh, I don't know who it was. Some guy on Twitter, and I wish I knew his Twitter handle so I could give him props because I literally laughed out loud because I retweeted the the, the, the the gif of her falling and, you know, her uh, her comment, the comment that she had. Right, she laughed it off. Yeah, know, she handled it like a pro. Absolutely. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I, I retweeted it with the comment, you know, just putting it over like how awesome that was, you know. Um, and some guy on Twitter, whoever you are, if you hear this dude, and it was awesome, he tweeted at WrestleMania, Mandy fell. And then Mandy rose. <laughs> to be fair I'm pretty sure Graves is sitting there going damn I wish I would have thought of that to say on Wrestlemania <laughs> what's on the uh, what's on the horizon for MVP oh man you know it's funny you should ask that because of course Wrestlemania backlash is coming up and um, you know the, the goal right now is to maintain Bobby Lashley's almighty WWE championship title run. You know, almighty Bobby Lashley's reign of terror. But I am, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a creative person. My mind is always working. And I'm always, I, I'm full of ideas and I just have things that I want to do all the time. Uh, one of those things, uh, Mr. Graves, you and I discussed it. And what a great format to talk about MVP's podcast. You know, I had a successful podcast. I'd, I'd like to do that again. Um, you, you, got a, you, got a phone, you, you got a phone call coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, also, I've been, uh, I've always been in, in music, you know, you know hip hop and uh, Korea. I've talked many times. I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of old school New York hardcore and punk. Sure. And uh, I finally have the pieces in place to pursue that dream that I've had since I was a teenager to uh, actually pursue a hardcore project. Nice. So that's, yeah, that's, that's something that, that I plan to uh, work on in the spring. Through, through the summer or, or we'll see we'll see uh, but I'm just excited about it because you know I've, I've always been a lyricist since I was a kid first time I heard Run DMC's Suck MC's I went and wrote my own you know, my, my first rap in 6th grade um, and I've done lots of I've released lots of hip hop um, you know my, my own theme song I, I performed but hardcore is something that I've never done but I've always loved it you know I'm a huge fan of Agnostic Front, of course, Bad Brains is my all-time favorite. Um, so finally, you know, at forty-some <laughs> years old, finally, uh, you know, putting the pieces together to to put out, you know, a, a, a hardcore EP. Uh, I'm just stoked about it. So that's that's on the horizon, man. That's something that I'm really. I'm stoked for you. I'm I'm curious to see how this works out. I'm, I'm, I want to be I want to be with you every step of the way on this, man. <laughs> what what is it about New York uh, uh, hardcore that, that draws you in? Uh, it, it seems like a bit of a disconnect from time to like you see MVP the character and you don't think Agnostic Front and Bad Brains and all, all these legendary hardcore bands. What is it about that scene that's that's always intrigued you? Well, I didn't realize until later in life, but as a teenager, when I was just immersed in hip-hop culture, really the origins of hardcore and hip-hop come from the same angst, you know, the, the, the same, you know, working class uh, or, or, or poverty-stricken mindset, uh, a mistrust of the government, of the system, um, you know, DIY, do it yourself, you know, go yes, out sir. there and make it happen. Um, and, and just the, 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 the anger and, and the aggression 
towards you know the the wrongs in the world around you and, and calling that out you know hearing Roger Murray, you know, scream out about, you know, just what's wrong with the world around him. Like, what are we going to do? And, you know, it's one of the greatest songs ever made. You know, Skins and Punks, United and Strong, Blacks and Whites, United and Strong. I remember being 14, hearing that song, and just thinking, like, yo, this is, like, it, it took me a little while to get into the, the, the screaming part of it. But once I got into it, um, I was just like, whoa, my, 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 my friend, John Wesley Mitnick, who, I discovered recently passed away. He was the guy that introduced me to hardcore. And uh, I used to work with him at a vitamin shop at 163rd Street Mall in North Miami Beach. And by the time we got off work, uh, the buses would stop running. So we worked out a deal where I would pay him and he'd give me a ride home every week because I was in junior high school. And, you know, I remember he had a Camaro with six by nine speakers. And uh, his rule was, you know, my car, my music. So whenever I would try to stick in my Eric B. and Rakim tape or my Public Enemy tape, he'd be like, no way, son. And he'd pop in MDC or, or uh, The Exploited or, you know, the Angry Samoans. And I'm like, oh. what is this? What, what the hell are you subjecting me to, man? It's <laughs> an um, education. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know. And then he, and I'll never forget, this is exactly what he did because at the time I was so into Public Enemy. And then KRS One, you know, this is, you know, I was loving hip hop, but I was also loving the education and, and, and the knowledge of self and seeing artists who look like me. He introduced me to Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening, and he's like, Yeah, these guys are black dreadlock rosters. And I was like, No way, man. You just get out of here. I'm telling you, dude, these dudes are dreadlock rosters from DC. I couldn't believe what I was hearing was that. But then he gave me a cassette tape. He said, Go ahead, take this. And on one side was Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. And on the other side was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Uplift Mofo Party Play. So <laughs> this was, you know, when the Red Hot Chili Peppers were still playing clubs right. that held a thousand people. I saw them on Miami Beach for the Mother's Milk Tour. Wow. Where their, their, their bus was like outside the... The, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the club that is today known as Mansion back then was... Uh, Echoes and twelve thirty-five or something. They played there, and their bus was outside the venue afterwards. And they were outside talking to people casually, taking pictures. You know, I went to prison like a little while after that show, and I came home a decade later. And these guys are an arena rock band, and I'm like, what the hell happened to the Chili Peppers? But that was the introduction, and then you know that was you know Bad Brains opened up that portal, and all of a sudden I'm listening to all of this other music that I probably wouldn't have, but um, shout out to Wes and, and, and the scene for embracing me because I'd be on the scene, I didn't get Doc Martens till way later in life. I'd be there with, with, with Adidas and, and so my, 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 I guess you would call my hip hop gear. And I even remember going to a, a concert at, a, a, who was, I think it was MDC. At, at the cameo on South Beach, and as I walked up with Wes, this girl looks at me and she goes, "Um, the LL Cool J concert is down the street, guys." Ha 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 ha! And I was like, "Yeah, well, whatever." And not too long after, because I was underage too, so I remember being like snuck in through the side door or something. I was fourteen, and uh, just the first time I saw a Pit, 
just the, the fear. Talk about it. Yeah, that's a different kind of energy I'm, right there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm seeing all these skinheads. You know, like yeah, I'm, I'm just getting uh, you know in, introduced to the scene. So to me, you know, West taught me that you know all skinheads are racist. But this is you know we're talking '86, '87. You know that information wasn't widely known yet. So right. I don't know who who's cool and who's not. And you know if I jump in there, am I going to get cracked over the head or something. That, that was, was when you had to look at like you had to look that. at their shoelaces, man. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the laces. But fortunately the scene in South Florida, you know, the the the, the, the neo Nazi skins were really isolated because if they showed up to any of the regular events, they usually got stomped out by Yeah, exactly. By it was gonna be a rough night for those dudes. Yeah. I, I got to ask you, you're talking about, you know, music and you're rattling off all these different artists and groups. There's only one group mentioned in your Instagram profile, Steely Dan. <laughs> so I got it. I just got to know where does Steely Dan fall in all of this? You even have four emojis after Steely Dan, just to <laughs> emphasize the fact of the love here for this group. I have seen, I love live music. I, I go to concerts. My musical tastes obviously are extremely eclectic. You know, from uh, I said, from Bad Brains to 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 Rockem to Agnostic uh, Front to Steely Dan. That's quite a journey to take. But I, I went down a list, and I think I posted it on Twitter about the bands I've seen the most. And I think it says something. I've seen Steely Dan six times, and I've seen Fishbone six times, and everybody else just kind of falls in. You know, uh, something about Steely Dan's musicianship. The intellectual babble of, of of Walter Becker and 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 Donald Fagan and, and their esoteric lyrics, the 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 jazz fusion rock funk, it's just geniuses, man. And and I feel like if if you can't vibe the Steely Dan, if if there's nothing in the Steely Dan discography that moves you. We can't really be friends, man. <laughs> well, there you, there, there you go, Vic. You, yeah. way, way to just ruin your friendship or potential well, friendship. Hold on anything. a second. No one said anything that I don't listen to Steely Dan. <laughs> just because I've listened to Kiss primarily. I mean, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. And you know what? It's weird. Like, so music. We're talking about music. Some stuff you hear and it, it just resonates with you. And some stuff doesn't. Like the Beatles, one of the greatest bands of all time. People love the Beatles. You know, the people are just huge. So me and Edge would get into it all the time because he loves the Beatles. The Beatles don't resonate with me. I don't understand why they're considered the greatest, you know, one of the greatest bands of all time. I don't get the Beatles. I Some of their music I like. I don't dislike the Beatles. They just don't resonate with me. So I get Kiss as a band. I, yeah, I, I understand why Kiss would be popular. And, you know, their music is okay. But Kiss never resonated with me. Where I'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah, Kiss, let's go see Kiss. Oh, I'm excited and, right yeah, now. You're just talking about it. <laughs> I'm ready yeah, to go see a concert now. <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, if, if somebody said, hey, you want to go see Kiss? I go see Kiss for the novelty. Well, Kiss isn't a group that resonates with me. So I understand when people go, Steely Dan, man, I don't, I don't get that, man. I don't, okay, well, you know, intellectually, you can't process Steely Dan. So I'll just leave it like that. Oh, so you don't like Steely Dan. To take it back to hardcore for, for a second, have you seen the Godfathers of Hardcore? You know I have. Okay, <laughs> my, my buddy Ian made that thing, man, and it, it is absolutely incredible. I just want to give it some love to anybody who might be listening to this and wants oh, to uh, absolutely check out a phenomenal documentary about the Godfathers of Hardcore Agnostic Front. I, I second it. I second it. As a matter of fact, uh, again, 
I remember sitting in Wes's Camaro in the passenger seat and him pumping, sticking in that cassette tape. And he would rev it up, you know, because we we're talking about the 80s and his Camaro. And shoot off down I-95. And I'll never forget sitting in his seat and sitting in his car and hearing that power. <laughs> the antisocial May. Like, whoa, what is this? Right away, I'm like, okay, you got my attention. Right yep. So, yeah, Godfather's a hardcore, Gnostic Fun, Roger Murray, of course, the, the immortal Jenny Stigma. Yes, who, sir. When I went to go see Gnostic Front in Houston, and I remember walking up because I wanted to take a picture with Vinny, and I also had on a black Gnostic Front t-shirt with the old school, uh, with the combat boots that say skinhead. Yes, yep. I still had that shirt. And uh, I'm walking up to Vinny Stigma to take a picture, and Vinny goes, Hi, guys, look, MVP's here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Vinny Stigma knows who I am. Vinny Stigma's a wrestling fan. And yeah, cool. It was like, wow, yep. man. Stigma's, Stigma's an icon, man. Greatest. All, all the guys, man. That, that whole crew is unbelievable. Absolutely great. I'm stoked to uh, continue this conversation this coming Monday. This is what gets me through the day is getting to hang out uh, with, with you and, and Bobby in the locker room and to chat about all things life. But uh, to quote, the great agnostic front from the East coast to the West coast. Gotta, gotta, gotta go MVP. Thank you so much for uh, calling back in, man. You're always welcome here. Uh, thank you for having me, but I, I, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that incredible segue. That is why you are so good at your job. <laughs> very, very good. Kudos to you. Um, you are, you are a credit to the business and I will uh, tell this little story on the out. I remember as we recounted recently standing ringside when MVP had first started and you were an extra trying to get a job yes, and sir. we would have little chats about, you know, Hey, you know, this and that. And what, what was the one thing that we discussed about your, uh, your appearance that I looked, I looked a little too much like someone else. <laughs> But fortunately, everything worked out for you. Kudos, congratulations. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I'm going back to sleep now. All right, man. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy that slumber, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, you guys take care. Man, that was fun. I love talking to MVP. Honestly, he's one of the guys that keeps me sane every Monday now, uh, having him to, to go back and forth with. I can't wait to actually continue the conversation we just had. I think it's going to open a lot of, uh, it's going to open some new views for the listeners that think they know the character, but get to know the man a little bit more with everything that MVP is about and things that drive a guy who really WrestleMania, man, I know we talked about the cane first time I really got to sit and talk to him. And it was, it was eye opening for me. It was a, it was a whole different world, a whole new view of who MVP is. And I'm, I'm, I was personally really happy that we were able to get him on the show. See, I had that sort of stroke. One of these days I'm gonna try to get myself in the hurt business. Not really. I thought you were going to say one day you're going to try to remove me from this podcast. Well, I could have Bobby Lashley do that for me. It is that time. We are just about out of it. But before we go, Vic, I am stoked to introduce to the ATB faithful the official After the Bell mailbag. This is an opportunity for anyone listening to the show to use the hashtag AskATB. That's right. A-S-K-A-T-B. Six letters, one goal. 
Ask us whatever it is that you need answers to. Do you want our opinion on something? Something from WWE history? Maybe you just have a thought you want to hear Vic and I discuss here on the show. Maybe it's a question for a superstar that you'd like to hear from. Maybe it's a suggestion to make the show better. Maybe it's just to tell Vic that he should go jump in a river and let Graves do it by himself. Whatever your thought is, send it to the mailbag. Hashtag AskATB. We're going to compile some questions and uh, answer a few on future episodes of After the Bell. I think it's a, a great idea. It's another way for us. I don't necessarily like the question that you proposed them to ask while me jumping into a river, but it is a way for us to interact with you. What do you want to know? Ask ATB out. What's it like working with Byron Saxon? Why don't you wear socks, Graves? What, what was uh, something we missed from SmackDown or Raw that you want us to address? Anything, everything, hashtag AskATB. And in the meantime, follow at After the Bell on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow me at WWE Graves. Follow Vic at Vic Joseph WWE. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. Throw us five stars. If you're on Android, ATB's on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Keep up with all your favorite shows in the WWE Podcast Network at WWE Podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell.